Good morning, church. Happy Thanksgiving. This is uh, Thanksgiving Sunday, and so I wanted to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. I thought for uh, Thanksgiving Sunday it would be a good idea for our children to hang out with us in Big People Church. And so welcome, children. So glad you're here. And while we're uh, welcoming the children, I also wanted to say thank you to our children's ministry team. Uh, they do an amazing job every week to disciple and mentor our kids, and um, I esteem very, them very highly. And so this is the children's ministry team. Yes, let's give them a hand. I thank God for them every single day. Well, I did have a wonderful Thanksgiving message planned for you, but um, in the middle of the week, God decided to scrap that message. And so I have a different message for you. I believe God has a good word for us this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to John chapter 5? John chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 1 this morning. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says this, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here... A great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And let's just stop there for a second. Kids, how many of you like to go to the swimming pool? Yeah? Oh, yeah, look at that. We all, oh, you too. Big kid likes to go to the swimming pool too. I mean, there's... Big pools, right? And small pools. There's pools that are deep and then pools that are shallow. There's even some pools that are dirty and some pools that are clean. Some pools that are circular and some pools that are rectangular. All kinds of pools. But the neat thing about this particular pool is that it's believed to have healing powers. You see, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters in this pool. And the first person into the pool, when the water was stirred, would be healed of their illness. Isn't that cool? Isn't that kind of interesting? And so, we find here a a disabled person that's been disabled, bedridden probably, paralyzed for 38 years. For 38 years, he's been in this condition. And it's obvious that if someone didn't help him into the pool, that he wouldn't be the first into the pool, and that he would not be healed of his illness. And so then the question I have for us this morning is, is why did no one notice? Why did no one help him into the pool so that he'd be the first into the pool? Would I notice? Would I help? Would you notice? Would you help? My wife and I, we moved uh, to Pasadena, California from 2005 to 2008. This was so that I could attend seminary. And about the same time in 2005 that we moved to Pasadena, there was this middle-aged lady that also moved to Pasadena. But the circumstances were very different from her. You see, she began to live on the streets. And she began to stand 
at the entrance of the highway and she begged for money. And that was in 2005. And I remember when I first saw her, I thought to myself, gosh, she looks so well kept. She looks so together. I wonder what's her story. I wonder why she's on the streets. And I said, gosh, I'm going to give her some money and I hope she pulls it together. And that was in 2005. And over the next two to three years, my heart started to change. And I'm embarrassed to say it didn't change for the better. Instead, my heart started to grow indifferent towards this middle-aged lady that was living on the streets. And by the time I graduated in 2008 and my wife and I were, we were getting ready to leave Pasadena, the same middle-aged lady was still at that same highway entrance, still begging for food, still begging for money. But this time, she looked very different. She looked broken. She looked crushed. She was skin and bones. And I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I hardly even noticed her. My heart had grown indifferent. Listen to what Eli Weisel says about indifference. He says this. He says, The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. It's indifference. Why didn't no one help this 38-year, this man who was disabled for 38 years? I think it was indifference. Why did I no longer notice this lady that was homeless on the streets of Pasadena anymore? I believe that it's indifference. Jesus says this about indifference. Listen to what Jesus says. He says that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. In the last days, people will be unloving, uncaring. The love of many will grow cold. People will become indifferent. And I don't want that to be me. You don't want that to be you. We all need an infusion of the Lord's compassion and love. And so what does Jesus do when he finds out about this man who was uh, paralyzed and disabled for 38 years? Listen carefully to what Jesus does. It says this, verse 6 says, When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Notice the three verbs, the three action words in this verse. Jesus saw him. Jesus took the time to learn about his story. Jesus engaged in conversation with this man. Jesus did not overlook him, but he treated him with dignity and respect. Jesus treated him as one who is made in the image of God. And then what happens next? Listen carefully. 
to verse 7. This is the man's reply. He says this, he says, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to go in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Can you sense this man's despair and frustration? Can you sense that this man's spirit has been crushed, has been broken? But what happens next? Listen carefully to what Jesus does. Verse 8 and 9. Then Jesus said to this man, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And then the text says, At once he was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Jesus notices this man who has been in this condition for 38 years, engages in conversation with him, learns his story, and then he is healed. His life is forever changed because he has a living encounter with Jesus. This is a new day for him. This is a new beginning for him. One of my favorite stories in the Gospel of John. As you all know, I've been trying to find families for our church to help. We wanted to help families in need during Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so I finally got to meet with Denny Araki. And Denny is the Department of Education's Homeless Concerns Program Specialist. We met with her on Tuesday, Karen and I did. And we sat with her team and, and, and she gave me this, this statistic that was startling. She said, um, there are 1,400 homeless students in the Department of Educational School System. School system. 1,400, 1,400 students that are homeless. And that's just in the Leeward district of Oahu. And then I, I said, hey, Denny, are there any of these children that are in kind of extreme poverty that our church could help out, that our church could help out during Thanksgiving and Christmas? And she said, absolutely. And then she shocked me. She surprised me by saying, hey, do you want to um, go and look for some of these students that I, I'm thinking about right now? Do you have time? And I, I'm like, I'm kind of surprised. I'm kind of shocked. And I'm like, gosh, I guess so. Sure, let's go. And so we go driving down in Kailealoa and in Kapole looking for these two families that she's thinking about. And we go from location to location. We're asking people if they saw them. And finally, we meet up with this one particular family. And it's a father and daughter. And dad gave me permission to share their story. And so I'm going to share their story with you now. And dad, his name is Nico. And his daughter, she's, her name is Upu. And she's 11 years old. And she goes to Pohakea Elementary School. Sixth grader. Well, Nico, he had a job as a resident manager at one of the 
homeless shelters in Kailailoa. But he broke one of the rules in that um, he opened a side door for one, one of the homeless residents. And opening up a side door is kind of like a no-no. Kind of like when you go to the theaters, you don't open a side door to let people in. That's a big no-no. And so he did that. And so he got terminated instantly. And so Nico and his 11-year-old daughter, Upu, found themselves on the streets of Kapole and Barber's Point. And they began to live in a truck, a truck that wasn't running, that a friend owned. The friend said, hey, you can sleep in my truck. And so this has been happening since October the 12th, almost a little over a month, living in a truck. And so we found them and I, I, I said, hey, Nico, how are you doing, man? And he's like, man, I'm doing good. I have my daughter. I have somewhere that I can sleep. I'm looking for a job. Man, I have nothing to complain about. And then I, I said, hey, Upu, how are you doing? And 11-year-old Upu says, I'm doing fine with a smile. And then um, we were trying to figure out what, would, what they might need during Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so I said, hey, is there anything that our church can do to help you all? And, and they were like, no, 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 no. There's nothing that we need. We're good. We're very good. And then I and then I finally, we were able to pry it out of them. And Upu, um, finally, with great humility, expressed that she could use a, a training bra, that she could use some clean underwear, that she could use a pair of shoes and, and maybe some pants and maybe some socks. And so I looked at Upu and I said, Upu, we're going to take you guys shopping tomorrow after school. Is that okay? And and dad and Upu said, oh, thank you. Yes, we would love that. And so we made a plan. Our plan was that we would pick them up after school at Pohakea and that we would take them shopping. And so Karen and I, we, we were there right after school and they were ready to jump in our car. But the thing was that Upu was smelly. She didn't take a bath for a while. And I, I was like, gosh, we can't take her shopping like that. And so I, I thought, out of the blue, I said, gosh, hey guys, is it okay if I take you guys to my house so that Uku can, Upu can have a, a shower? And they're like, oh yeah, sure, that would be great, thank you. And so I, they jump in my car, and we go to my house, Upu takes a shower, and then you, and you guys are probably thinking, ooh, a homeless person rode in your car? Ooh, a, a homeless person showered in your beautiful home and I'm embarrassed to say that I had the same feelings I had the same concerns but you know what that one act of obedience changed me more than it blessed them and then we went shopping we went to Walmart we bought the items that they needed uh, the, the counselor said hey could you also get some shampoo and, and some towels and soap because we're going to try and uh, let her shower at the school. We're going to try and find out if we can get some hot water going so that she can shower at the school in the morning before she goes to school. And I'm like, absolutely. And so we get her all these supplies. And then we enjoy a meal together at McDonald's. One of the most amazing days that I've had 
It was an awesome day. That's the story of Nico and her, his 11-year-old daughter, Upu. And we met two more families. I, I forgot to ask for permission to share their story, and so I'm not going to share their story. Maybe another day. But I just want to say this. These are people. People with names. People with stories. People made in the image of God. They matter. They matter to God and they ought to matter to us. And so I've decided that as a church, we're going to kind of adopt Nico and Upu and maybe one or two more families that are homeless. We're going to adopt them. I'm, I'm not sure how it's going to look. But I'm guessing we're going to try and build relationships with them. We're going to try and surround them with love and care and concern and hope and support. We're going to do something instead of doing nothing. We all are looking to the government to, to try and solve the homeless problem. But I believe that the local church has the potential to make a huge impact on homelessness. Listen to what Bill Hybels, he's a pastor in Chicago, listen to what he says about the potential of the local church. He says this, he says, there is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to, co- to the confused. It provides resources to those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church, the local church, has a greater capacity for human for, for healing and wholeness. That's what Bill Hybel says, and I think he's right. And I, when I look at this church, I see potential and beauty and power. The beauty and the power that he's talking about in this church, in our church. And I see that beauty and power and potential in every other local church. There is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 25? In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about the end times. Listen carefully to what Jesus says in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. I didn't put it on the screen because it's a long passage. But just uh, listen and follow along. He says this. Jesus says, When the Son of Man, when Jesus comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And Jesus, the king, will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then Jesus will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? It did not help you. Jesus will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This passage of scripture says that when we don't take care of the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, those that are in prison, that we don't take care of Jesus himself. I don't get it. But that's what the Word of God says. It also says that when we are indifferent toward the hungry and the thirsty and the stranger and the naked and the sick and the imprisoned, that we're indifferent toward Jesus Himself. I don't get it. But that's what Jesus says here. I don't know about you, but when I read passages of Scripture like this, it concerns me. It disturbs me. Am I going to be counted as a sheep? Am I going to be accounted as a goat? And I have theologian friends that are much smarter than I who are able to take a passage like this and kind of remove the sting from it so that I feel better. But frankly, I'm tired of people trying to explain things away so that I feel better. Maybe it's okay to be disturbed and concerned if it will compel us to action. You see, my Bible says that faith without action, faith without deeds, faith without action is a dead kind of faith. We cannot say that we love Jesus and not show compassion. We cannot say that we are Christians and not feed the hungry. 
We cannot say that we are disciples of Jesus Christ and not clothe the naked. Faith without works is a dead kind of faith. I love what William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, I love, what, I love this quote that's up on the screen. This was his battle cry. This is what kept him up at night. This was, is what kept him focused and engaged in the battle. Listen carefully to what he says. He says this. He says, While women weep, as they do now, I'll fight. While children go hungry, as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison, in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. Church, while there remains homeless children living on the streets of Kapole and Eva Beach, we must fight. We must fight to the very end. Let us pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. God bless you. And